wish that my Zoom trombone lessons were as yo, synced as that was. Yo, Jeff is a band leader, and I want to always I want to impress the band leader. Like I don't want to disappoint Jeff. I don't care about you, Andrew, about disappointing you. I'm sure I've already On done that over the course of our so friendship. Much. So much. Um so I'm not Countless concerned times. so much about that, but um uh, yeah. We did it. Next. We got the rhythm. Yeah. We got the rhythm. Bible Buds is in full effect. Uh, Jeff has no idea what's about to happen here. I really don't. I'm excited, though. That's great. Just to introduce uh, Jeff to our listeners, um, I met Jeff through the Portland music scene. Um, I'm sure that Andrew has probably also seen you play trombone because I know he has uh, also been to a handful of Jack Maybe shows that you have played and maybe even been on the bill with... um, with the Jack, maybe with brother, not brother. I'm glad brother. to hear that because that hat is exactly the hat that I wear when I play with Jack, maybe. So, dude, Andrew, I've you're definitely, a fan. I, I feel like I saw you play with Jack, maybe the first time at Kelly's Olympian, maybe. Mm, yep. Yeah, uh, I believe we were on that bill, um, and I got super. It was in July, and I got the flu right after the show. It was super. I got summer flu. It was awful. And you probably degrees. got it from my trombone, which is why I can't play <laughs> trombone in front of people anymore. Do you know that the Oregon Educators Society has a specific stipulation? All other instruments, you got to have six feet apart. But for the trombone, 12 feet. Are you serious? That's right. I am dead it's a big serious. horn, Daniel. Just, it's a big horn. I That's a very a big horn. Yeah. <laughs> um, but yeah, I met Jeff through the the portland music scene and i actually had him on my podcast last week and i just uh i picked up on a lot of uh, spiritual vibes from jeff while he was talking to me about music Hell yeah. and i was just like yo if you want to uh do this goofy thing that my buddy and andrew buddy andrew and i do um called bible buds you should definitely uh you should you should jump on and and have uh have a ridiculous chat with us and you also mentioned up mentioned growing up going to church a bit so i it felt like you were maybe a good candidate to uh to have on this this podcast send me a little alliteration and i'm there dan (laughs) oh baby (laughs) well jeff just to bring you up to speed on since you mentioned you're sort of coming in blind here Uh uh-huh nice nice work dan yeah Um, (laughs) it's more fun that way jeff i feel like jeff is about the unknown okay okay but just to bring you up to speed a little bit on like my background and dan you can you can fill it in as well um i was raised in sort of the like uh non-denominational evangelical church uh and was pretty deep in it until i was about 20 um at which point i had sort of like a crisis of faith or a a moment of serious deconstruction whatever you want to call it um largely brought on by experimenting with psychedelics Ah. but i think some other stuff too but i think the psychedelics really cracked it open um and yeah, basically came to this moment where I was like, it wasn't that I was like, oh, wow, this is all bullshit. And like, I don't like I'm an atheist now. Like, I don't fucking believe in anything. It was more like, whoa, I feel like I just had an actual encounter with God. And it was very different than what was taught to me in Christianity. And like, I don't think I can be part of organized religion anymore. But I also like feel more spiritual now than I ever have been. 
So where does that leave me? And that was, you know, about a decade ago. So now it's, it's been a decade of sort of just like, um, poking around like different spiritual traditions and texts and practices and, uh, sort of landing somewhere along the lines of like, I don't, I don't really have much of a practice right now. Um, you know, I draw a little bit from everything, but I definitely like after the trauma of (laughs) being raised Christian had washed away, I sort of came back to the teachings of Jesus and was like, you know, these are pretty dope. I actually find a lot of value in this and, and this sort of feels like a spiritual home base, something that I had like shunned for so long. Um, You've come a couple full years circle. ago. Yeah, a couple years ago, I was like, you know what? I actually think that uh, I actually think that this might be a good place to like begin again. And so that's kind of where I'm at. Um, and yeah, and just, then and then I stepped in and I was like, Andrew, we should do this stupid podcast where we get we get stoned and we do a Bible study because I've never read the Bible all the way through or like really paid giving it much attention especially as an adult so Mm -hmm. i was like we should do this thing i feel like maybe my my fallout from religion was a little less jarring maybe than andrew's my community wasn't so immersed in it you know like i don't know i just kind of went to church casually with as a part of my family's catholic culture you know it was never really rigid or like shoved down my throat you know i went to some bible studies here and there in high school and yeah i don't know just uh always had some connection to spirituality but never like after high school didn't really feel comfortable with uh like any sort of organized religion and felt really uncomfortable in church and felt like it was a place where people were heavily judging us and opposed to doing what was in the teachings and and things like that. And then also, you know, had some significant psychedelic trips. I think, you know, um, walking away from some of those initial ones, very similarly to Andrew of like, yo, I still don't really think I have a place in religion, but I do feel more connected to a God or spirituality than I ever have in my life due Mm. to like some of these experiences. So yeah, man. That's that's where we're we're kind of coming at this thing from, and we've had a wide spectrum of folks as guests on from people that are still heavily connected to the religion that they grew up with, and then also people that grew up religious and have completely removed themselves from religion, but also maybe still identify as spiritual, and maybe some that that don't really have too much of a place or a practice for it. So um, cool. That's where like we're that. at. I like, uh, thank you for painting the origin story of, you know, both your relationship <laughs> to spirituality and religion and the show. I feel like there's some parallel there with religion itself, you know, having that heroic beginning. So the I just, mythology and, is very important. Yeah. So um, I just got the, the, the brief version of the mythology of Bible Bud. So I yeah. appreciate that. I like that. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Sure. Also, it's In helpful a time for, long ago. You know, you know, it's helpful <laughs> yeah. for anybody that's uh, that's jumping into the show um, for their first time with with your episode to, I guess, let people know where we're, we're coming from. But um, yeah, man, talk to us about your your upbringing and where religion plays a role in that. Absolutely. 
Man, you guys are great, and I relate to a lot of things that you're saying. And the, the, uh, Andrew, the first thing that came to my mind when you were talking about your um, your breaking point. Well, you didn't call it a breaking point, but your breaking free moment. You know, you took you took psychedelics, and Dan, you said the same thing. And I think that that's something that I hear a lot from people, and it makes me think that perhaps Christianity just doesn't have the best sacrament. You know, they they don't have the holding power. You know, it's like a little. <laughs> A little thimble full of wine doesn't keep people coming back. I like when I went to, um, I was dating, um, um, my girlfriend in high school was a Mormon, and there was a large Mormon community in my town. I grew up in Schoharie, upstate New York. Oh, sorry, I thought Andrew was going to say something there. I think he did, but now he's frozen. <laughs> <laughs> what well, I was I was gonna say it's funny that you mentioned that like maybe the sacrament of Christianity is just like it's too weak because there's a lot of interesting evidence out there that perhaps like early Christianity was a mushroom cult um, and that a lot of like ancient just like a lot of like shamanistic um, sects are based in some sort of psychedelic experience that like. Uh, a lot of ancient sort of like uh, Abrahamic proto-religions or whatever were all based in the same thing. And that like early Christianity, like the sacrament was perhaps like some form of psychedelic, um, which I find fascinating because, again, like that was my first true encounter with God was was with psychedelics. And so to me, it makes perfect sense. Absolutely. Yeah. So I grew up going to. Um, a Lutheran church. So I was baptized and my dad was the organist choir director there for 30 years. Douglas Chilton, great piano player, good dude. And I sang in his choir and I went to the church there and I knew all the church ladies in the choir and they called themselves Chilton's Chicks and they sang, (laughs) you know, there weren't a lot of guys in the choir. So there was a female tenor and it was great. And, you know, we kind of sat in the choir and had our own experience with God while the sermons and stuff were going on. Not to say we were totally ignoring them, but it was, it was, we were in the church, we were in the Lutheran Christianity, but we kind of were doing it through our own filter, which I liked. And so like, I actually never even took communion. I wouldn't go down because it just seemed kind of weird to me. Like I didn't want to go and Mm. prostate myself in front of the, uh, the pastor and like, you know, have him like put something in my mouth. It kind of made me uncomfortable actually (laughs) but if it got me tripped up like a mushroom i might have been more interested did the uh did you have a pretty spiritual connection to the music then do you feel like pretty early on yeah even to this day i actually just picked up a hymnal um it's a unitarian hymnal though and i'm just like once in a while just sit on my couch and sing through some of it and read the poetry and i like the unitarian hymnal because it's less christ-based and it's more um earth-based in its poetry and it's drawing from you know a bunch of different writers from all over the world there's even stuff in you know other languages it's not just english-centric but yeah man for me you know the same way that andrew you connected to god for the first time with a psychedelic trip like i connected to what i would call god and when i say the word god you know i just mean the feeling where you're outside your egoic self and you have that oneness connection with all things, both living and non-living. And, you know, maybe, you know, but um, I had that for the first time uh, in a choir 
during like all state choir where there was just like 200 people all singing this Eric Whitaker tune, which is these like beautiful harmonies stacked on top of each other and the best sounds I had ever heard in my life. And I was a part of this massive organism. And that's when I felt that, that God connection. And we weren't even singing religious music. Um, but I would say that that was a psychedelic experience for me. Yeah. That's just like an insane amount of energy and just like an undeniable, like communal experience when everybody's tapped in to that. I don't know. We've talked about that a bit on this podcast, just even the experience of going to see live music when everybody's singing those gang vocals together, you know, or even just watching a band that's locked in and maybe there's mm-hmm. six different singers and they're just locked into this harmony. You can feel For sure. like that energy is put out into the, into the crowd. Yeah. I mean, I think the music for me is what, what, got me so deep into the church to start with and what kept me there. Um, Cause yeah, it, it was definitely super powerful, but Jeff, before we cut out, you had mentioned that you were, um, you're from upstate New York, right? Mm-hmm. And so you were, you were, you had a girlfriend who was Mormon. Um, and right. we've had a, we've had a Mormon guest from upstate New York on this podcast. Oh, no kidding. Was it Ariel? <laughs> no, it wasn't. Yeah, it wow. was your ex-girlfriend. <laughs> yeah. She's amazing. But I, I'm just curious sort of what uh, what that experience was like being in high school, having a Mormon girlfriend, sort of how that sort of, you know, informed your your experience. There was such a variety of different Christian denominations, but they were all strongly Christian and within the one valley. You know, there were several well-attended churches with strong youth programs, the Mormon church. You know, I was at the Lutheran church with my dad farther out of town. Actually, we were more in the city. And then there were two other denominations that I don't remember. And so I feel like growing up, um, I, I wouldn't identify with any one Christian denomination, but they were all just coming at me from different places. And it really was about the people. And so I date because I dated um, someone who was, um, you know, Latter-day Saints, I ended up going to those services a bit and I, you know, I fell in really well with her parents and they were just really solid people who they had their shit together basically. And yes, to my mind, you know, in like my sort of intellectualism, they were accepting things that seemed really illogical to me, but I have to give them credit because, because they accepted those things, they had this confidence as a family that I didn't see in other places and not to say I didn't have it in my own family, but when you're a kid, like I was looking for solid ground. And so if, if I ran Mm. into it there from like these somewhat religious people, I really appreciated that. And I I, I would say that that I really appreciate that even to this day, you know, it seems to be sort of a, a common conundrum, especially amongst people who've, who have, uh, like come in contact with with religion to some degree that Mormons believe some pretty out there shit but are al- almost like across the board really solid people so with smart, their shit together intelligent yeah yeah <laughs> and like also logically. We've, yeah we've also talked about because we've had several Mormon guests on the podcast and it's been it's been rad cuz it's definitely I don't know it shifted my views for sure and I think they have done a pretty great job of maybe like clearing up some of the extreme misconceptions. Mm. And obviously like those extremism exist across the board in, in religious or any other sort of like large groups. But, um, yeah, there it's also, 
like there seems to be this discipline like you talk about them having their shit together right there's a discipline that that goes with some of those more rigid ideologies that like naturally happens and that can't necessarily like it's hard to say that that can be damaging to your character to be like someone that's very well disciplined yeah in everything that they do and for sure and gra- like yeah i think that that makes you feel grounded when you are disciplined in what you're doing and your your life feels very organized that way it must and yeah that's it's like just a psychological like, tool you know you have something to fall back on when you you're feeling hit by that wave you know you're you're like ah oh, you're getting a little dizzy but then you have this rock that you've been um, sculpting since you were a child, you know, every day she, um, would go to missionary school or I forget what it was. No seminary, right? Before school, like two hours before school, she called me up. I'm like asleep. She's like, I'm going to seminary. I'm like, what? Don't, (laughs) don't call me. And then at night we'd be up until one 30 debating it because she would give me the Mormon Bible and I'd be reading through this thing. And I'm like, what the hell is this? You know? And so I would debate with her and then she would go to seminary and she'd ask, her dad or her seminary teacher like the questions so i was kind of like getting to ask some questions to these people in the church through her in seminary and it's just like a weird proxy situation it was a weird exactly <laughs> god bless god bless her for dealing with that but um it was good you know i mean at the end of the day we were just we were just conversing about it and we didn't really get anywhere because the things that we were de- debating were just like semantics within the text sure you know? of course but did you growing up you know as a um, did your dad work for the church? Yeah. Every so Sunday. you were, you were essentially like a, a pastor's kid. Yeah. Of well, sorts. The, ch- the church choir director's kid. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> but a little so, bit. Sure. Yeah. Once the pastor's kid, once removed, once um, removed. <laughs> did you, did you at any point, like, or I guess growing up, you know, I, I would assume that you kind of identified it as Christian, but like. Where were you at in like your high school years? Did you identify as Christian or were you sort of just like, I'm over this? And here's the thing even though my dad worked at the church for 30 years, he, I don't know that he would identify strongly as a Lutheran Christian. It's funny because he's there, he's supporting the music, he's playing the hymns, he's playing the funerals for Christ's sake, the wedding. He's passionate about it. He's passionate about the music, he's passionate about the spirituality, but in our house, when we said grace, it wouldn't be, we thank God, you know, it would just be a moment of silence. Or my Hmm. mom would say, we thank the isness. That was her word for it. She wouldn't say God, she'd just say the isness. I know, right? That's beautiful. That is, I mean, that is what I... If I had to like really try to sum up God really quickly to somebody, it would be like God is, you know, it's being. It is. It's isness. That's a per- that's a great way to put it. So I think that's super cool that you had that in your house. And so for me, I think what they taught me to do was to run a constant translation program in my head. So I would read these Christian texts. I'd see stuff about God or Jesus, and I was able to just kind of flip those words into a broader meaning so that it could be a little bit more encompassing for other faiths or just how I saw the world through a more, you know, young science minded intellectual type person, you know. So I don't know. I think that they did a good job because they still brought me into some grounding things and some uh, some 
positive qualities that that faith and religion can give you, but they didn't indoctrinate me. And I'm very grateful for that because, I mean, I'd like to hear more about your experiences, Dan, Andrew, having been a little bit more indoctrinated. That's kind of a painful thing to pull away from. For sure. I mean, I think to this day, um, you know, there's still a lot of uh, aspects of my life that are kind of rife with shame because shame was such a mm. was such a uh, key component of like kind of holding you down. And I, amen. And I That's an amen. S- I don't say amen. that in in the sense that it's like uh, nefarious or intentional because I don't think that it was. I mean, again, like these the people that I was in the church with and the people that I looked up to, um, these are really great people kind, loving people who were striving towards something good. Uh, and I think their hearts were in a hundred percent in the right place, like as much as anybody else. But I think the system itself, uh, and this can obviously be applied to a lot of things, but the system itself was, had a cancer. And part of that cancer for me was, yeah, was sort of like the purity culture and the shame that comes with that. And I wasn't necessarily a super wild high school kid. I mean, I was I was pretty religious. Like I was very mm-hmm. much a, a part of the church, and like, you know, I was uh, leading as a high schooler. I was leading middle school students, um, and was like a mentor to them. And I showed up weekly, biweekly for that. I showed up, you know, to play worship music like several times per week for other church functions, um, and. But I think that ultimately, like, you know, you could sort of simplify it to like, you need to, uh, you got to be, you got to be nice to everybody, no matter what you like, don't curse, don't drink, don't smoke. And for the love of God, don't do anything even remotely involving your penis. Like, just don't do that. (laughs) And so like the shame of growing up deeply religious um, while going through puberty, I think is where like most of the, um, and I don't want to say trauma cause it's not, it's not trauma. It's, you know, it's emotionally jarring for yeah, sure. It's ingrained into your psyche though. Like, yeah. You know, it's, and it's and I think that, that like it's definitely cycle, the cycle of, you know, uh, wanting to jerk off because I'm 14 and then doing it and then feeling really fucking bad about it and guilty and then doing it again the next day like and doing that for years and then the cycle of like having a high school girlfriend and like making the decision you know to start having sex at 17 like while I'm also being a middle school leader and telling these middle school kids like I was never like, it's not like I was like a Republican congressman who was like, don't be gay. And then was like having gay sex all the time. Right. I wasn't telling them. I'm glad you didn't reach that level. No, I wasn't being like a total (laughs) hypocrite about it in that sense. But, um, I was a part of a system that was essentially telling these young kids that like your sexuality is something that you should, you should shun, um, because it's, it's impure. And at the same time I was, I was starting to embrace my own and was at odds within myself in terms of like, this feels really good and right. Like on, 
you know, a personal spiritual level, but then like, you know, I'm being told all of these other things and like, you know, I wasn't a dumb kid. So it's not like I was just like, whatever, fuck it. Like I was, I was interested in the Bible. I had read the Bible a couple of times and I was like, I don't like, I was trying to find the loopholes essentially of like, I don't think that the Bible says that there's anything wrong with what I'm doing necessarily. I mean, it's all a matter of interpretation. And so I chalked it up to like, you know, yes, I'm having sex with my high school girlfriend, but at the time, like I really loved her and like we were in this committed relationship and I was like, it's, you know, it's not a technical marriage, but like we are together. We're monogamous and like, yeah, I just felt like, I felt like there was this sort of gray area that I could hang out in. Um, and that started to sort of crumble, like when right. I went off to college and, and had my standard college experience and started like drinking and smoking weed. And, um, you know, I wasn't going nuts with girls, but, uh, yeah, it just, it's, um, like the stuff that I carry from that to this day, uh, it's still kind of heavy. And like, I have to catch myself from time to time being like, Hey, you don't have to be ashamed about that whether it's something related to sexuality or uh i don't know any of the things that the 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 church would deem deeply impure um okay so i've got a i've got a question that i want to ask you guys about sexuality because um it's an it's a really interesting topic and i think that um i've been thinking about it in terms of spirituality lately and what you're saying just goes right into it like here here's where my head's at let me tell me what you think if um is sexuality part of your god self like if i think about my best most you know open loving self is my sexual desires a part of that self or are my sexual desires a separate part like more of my animal self and is that maybe where christianity is getting this impurity thing are they really just trying to talk about the different aspects of our consciousness like what is that yeah i don't i don't know i mean there, there's definitely like communication breakdown around sex in within Christianity. It seems as a whole, I, I don't really know. Like probably most religions, I would assume. I think that uh, I think it's like a yes and no situation, right? I think that just like right. pure pure fucking, just <laughs> for the sake of it. Uh, I don't know. Like maybe that is. Maybe there is like an animalistic part of, I mean, Christianity is not the only religion or spiritual sect to say like, uh, you know, abstinence is, is the way to holiness or whatever. Like it's not, they don't have a monopoly on that by any means. So it's not that I don't think that there's maybe some, some value in, in that, like it might be a possible way to enlightenment of some kind. But I think that there's, I think that there's lots of ways. Um, and I think that ultimately, um, I think that the connection that you can have with a lover, um, even though it involves sex, which is this sort of animalistic act. Um, you know, I think most people that have had, you know, we have the term making love for a reason, And I think most people that have experienced that can agree, like, there's a big difference between, like, just having sex with someone and, like, making love with someone who you deeply, uh, 
know and care about and they deeply know you and care about you and it's this really like amazing vulnerable beautiful act um and i think that like to just fully put sex in uh into that bucket is it it really complicates things Mm -hmm. um and i think ultimately where christianity is fucking up hard is saying like you can't like no sex until marriage right because they're basically saying like yes god uh approves of sex and like sex is good but only within the confines of this specific thing um and it's like yeah maybe maybe god as you want or spirituality or whatever is only present in sex that's like meaningful um but that doesn't necessarily have to be within the confines of marriage and so that really fucks with people that are going through puberty and who are hardwired to be like, I am the horniest that I will ever be in my fucking life at age 16, 17, 18, whatever. And trying to tell them like, you can't do it until you, till you get married. And that's why you have, you know, people who are like really disciplined, like Mormons. Why do you think they all get married at 18, 19, 20, or even like really staunch Christians? It's because they want to fuck. <laughs> Badly. Can we get a verification? Any Mormons out there? <laughs> they want they to. Want f- and I'm not saying that's the only reason, but it is a reason why they get married very young. It's because they're like, okay, I'm fucking ready to do it and experience it. And the only way that I can do it in the eyes of God is if I'm married. So, like, I found this person. I love them. But, like, if I had married who I loved at 18, like, I don't know that we would still be together. I I doubt that we would. <laughs> yeah. So, dude. and I think most people would say the same. I think that it can be both, though, Jeff. Like, I think mm-hmm. it can be the God thing and the and the animalistic, like within the sex. I think it's yeah. I think it's a spectrum, and it depends on who the experience is shared with, for sure. What do you think, though? Poser, like, of the, um, you know, poser of the question. Yeah, no, don't def- don't send it back at me. Come on, <laughs> this is the question I've been you said pondering. You, you said you've been pondering it. Like, where, where, yeah, where like, do oh, you? We're go where Bible do you? Buds. Li- Maybe we'll talk yeah. about. We'll where talk do you about lie it. on that right now? Though. I think I think um, just just what you guys were saying about each case by case being different. You know, the idea that maybe one particular sexual encounter. Uh, could be a sacrament in and of itself, you know, between both people. And that makes me think about the concept of sex cults and sex within cults and how it is used uh, as an ecstatic, right, a, a religious ecstatic thing. So that's wild. But then on the other side of it, you know, you might you might have an experience where it's very much just animal pleasure, almost like basically masturbating, however, with another person. I mean, hookup culture hasn't been helpful for that type of a thing, I would say. And so that to me would be sort of that primal thing that Christianity is really scared of. And maybe it's that uh, as a young person, you're not necessarily sure what's happening and so they're just like well no to all of it but i would say Mm. that maybe if we could just be more open we could bring in the sex into the the god conversation and it might actually have like a really important place in it you know yeah i agree dude and i think i yeah i think what some would maybe from like a conservative religious background maybe consider to be 
dark acts of sex. Like I think that those those acts and like moments with another person can also fall on the god spectrum. Like not not all that is perceived. What dark acts are you talking about, Dan? No, I'm just kidding. (laughs) But yeah, I don't know, man. Yeah. It's uh it is definitely interesting what that it's pretty much just like not spoken about which has obviously been the big miss i think too like just not exploring the conversation <clears throat> leads to you know the fucking ring of predatory sexual behavior in the catholic religion throughout its history you know yeah, the repression like that oppression is, is an issue that oppression is like has proved to be a fucking huge error it's a monster to be the dealt structure with. yeah like, absolutely and, to, and having that pressure to get to marriage is another just element of control like that too you know because you're not gonna be doing much crazy things if you're trying to support your family starting at age 18 right there's a lot yeah. less room for experimentation yeah you also just, got just locked like down. yeah i've always found it like interesting too i mean i i i understand i guess the concept of you know, a Catholic priest is devoting their life to to God and understanding the word and how to communicate it. So therefore there is no room for a romantic relationship. Like you're, you just, you don't get married traditionally. And I can so, relate to that because there's been periods in my life where music has been my relationship and the thought of having a girlfriend would pull mm, me away from that. And that's I like, get that what, too. you know, so that's like a beautiful thing to cut yourself off from that so that you can have more space for, I don't know, becoming one with God or maybe just studying God, you know, talking about like reading the Bible and really knowing your practice and knowing your faith. Yeah. I, I, yeah, I, I fuck with that too. And I think that there's, you know, especially over the last seven years, I mean, I was, I was single for like seven years and Mm -hmm. after kind of being this dude from high school till I was 27, always had some sort of steady girlfriend, you know? And so that seven years became very important to like my whole development. It was the first time I had no obligations to anyone, you know? And it was a game changer and very important. Like, so I, I get that, that side of it, but I also think it's interesting for someone, you know, that is supposed to be like leading a community of people to not Mm. have the understanding of, uh, what, like a long-term adult relationship is like I guess d- what everybody else in the community is doing it bro like everybody yeah. else is fucking so because it's uh, yeah, well, how are you going to advise them yeah so and and obviously it's been proven over time that that a long-term marriage is very difficult to sustain right so you have like this person that is supposed to be like leading families that I don't know, is not experiencing that for themselves, which is interesting. Maybe that makes them a very good observer and advisor to to these people. I don't know, because I don't have that experience of not having this relationship on these levels, I guess. But it also just... Uh, I feel like each relationship is so informative of the next. 
like these experiences are so important at least to like my development so it's interesting to just be like yeah this person doesn't really need this area of shit because they're getting so in tune with god or like the good word mm-hmm it's like, how can I, cause you know, I'm selfish. So I, I think of, I, I'm like, okay, Catholic priest, they're doing some good stuff. How's that relate to me? So, well, I want to be the best possible person I can be, but I'm obviously not going to give up sex. Uh, you know, I'm in a relationship with, um, my girlfriend and she's amazing and, uh, I'm not about to break up with her. So you're and not practicing abstinence. So just I'm to be clear on the podcast. I would like podcast. everyone to know I'm currently not practicing abstinence, but you know, all in time. Shame on you. Flows. Yeah, <laughs> I'm just kidding. We are not married. Um, <laughs> don't tell the pastor. Yeah, but um, but like I guess what I'm saying is I'm not a type of person who's cutting out tons of things for my life. I'm I'm kind of more like, hey, I want to experience life. Like I want to mm. try things out. I want to meet new people. I want to get into different hobbies. And um, am I Same. still able to be? like uh, a very higher evolved version spiritual godlike self like is that possible for me i don't know i don't I mean, know I man think that i mean those things add to that like that's yeah. part of you becoming that enlightened version of yourself like and like who's to say i don't know man who's to say what what uh what the right journey is um i think that the metaphor of like all paths lead to the top of the mountain or mm. like, you know, there are lots of different cracks for the light to get in, but it's the same light. Um, you know, I don't think that there's one right way to do it. Um, and I think what I'm interested in, in learning from you is, uh, and not even to say that you have to like have a path, but just like, you know, where, where are you at? with like spirituality and quote unquote God, even though that's sort of this un in my opinion, this unknowable, unnameable, mm-hmm. impossible thing. And we just have this like one horrible th- three letter term for it. Yeah. Um, that comes with so much baggage, but I think that we're kind of on the <laughs> same page here. When we say that word, it has a much broader uh, uh, concept right. behind it than in the typical we're not, Christian. We're form. not talking about, I, w- I just saw this, this uh, dude on Instagram, was sort of uh, laying into a a Karen Christian type who Mm. was really like trying to belittle this person on their views of Jesus, even though they're not a a self-proclaimed Christian by any means. Um, And anyways, at one point, this person was just like, I'm sorry that your God is so small um, that it's limited to 66 books and a penis. (laughs) Like that that's your understanding of God is that it's male and that it's only contained within the fucking Bible. Right. There's Um, not a ton of imagination there or poetry, although the Bible can be poetic, but very little, very little. Um, So, yeah, I think you're right. Obviously, when when we're talking about God, we're talking about something much bigger, something much more uh, mysterious and and unknowable. Um, Mm -hmm. But, yeah, I guess I'm just curious where this like sort of interesting upbringing that you had, like, uh, you know the path that you meandered on and, and, and how it's mm-hmm. brought, brought you to where you are now. I felt 
that I've always had a bit of a internal wonder or an internal emptiness because I wasn't so fully indoctrinated to anything. However, the concepts of spirituality were brought to me from a young age. So I knew that there was this thing that I wanted to connect to. I was, I understood like, okay, the world is more than just like my singular experience of it. Um, I am more than just Jeff, my egoic self, but yet I didn't have a specific set of rules and regulations that defined those questions. So it's very uncomfortable and it has been very uncomfortable for me. And I think part of, you know, moving through life and my spiritual practice is always becoming more comfortable with that unknowing uncomfortableness, um, recognizing that I will never fully understand how I fit into my concept of God and that nothing that I do, if I'm celibate, if I meditate every day, if I do breathing exercises, it's never going to fully show me the answer, you know, maybe death will. That's a big part of why I'm not afraid to die, to be honest with you. And I would say that this whole year has been a very spiritual year for me because every day I wake up. And I'm like, oh, yeah, I'm I fully accept death and like and look forward to it and not in a morbid way, but in a, a spiritually sure. awakening way. Curious you know? way. Absolutely. Um, it seems like the final enlightenment. Yeah. I mean, there's so much to unpack in what you just said. Um, and I would say one is that like I, too, especially after leaving the church and being in like a rigid belief system and a rigid sort of rigid community and then and then exiting that and feeling like untethered would be the best way that I could put totally. it. I'm just, I'm just out in space now floating around for the first time in my life. Mm-hmm. Uh, and that's, was fucking terrifying. Um, so I've, I've sort of toggled back and forth the last few years in terms of being like, maybe there is something to having a rigid spiritual practice. Even if you know that some of the tenets of it are kind of bullshit, like probably a lot of Mormons do, like probably a lot of Muslims do like, it's not that they are like rigid adherence to these belief systems, but they're just like, Hey, this is something that just fucking works for me. Like mm-hmm. it helps me, it helps me stay grounded in my life. And right. so I continue to do it. Um, and I was, and same thing with like meditation in, you know, Buddhism, whatever. I was like, maybe there's something to having like a disciplined spiritual practice. Maybe that's part of the equation. Um, but then I, then I flipped to the other side, like what you were talking about of like, but also maybe there's something to just leaning so hard into the mystery um, that you create your own, your spiritual practice becomes whatever the fuck you want. Because On it's that day, so completely flexible yes, and changing. Because everything that's very is so chaotic and unknowable anyways that like you just get to decide like what serves, what serves me today? What serves me in this moment? Like, how do I connect? Right, but here's the thing that I've seen. I see um, people that take that approach, and what I see is that they actually fall victim to the waves of their emotions and end up in this sort of darker nihilistic place. Whereas if they would prescribe themselves something that was a little bit more specific and, and have some rituals that are built in that work for them that don't kind of turn them off, I think that it would be in a happier place. And it's almost like we're biting off more than we can chew. You know, we, we secularize Westerners who grew up with Christianity, but Oh no, 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 that's too literal. Like we have to throw that out. And now we got nothing, but we're like, well, I don't need anything. I'll just be go with the flow 
and accept that uh, the unknowingness. But at the end of the day, religion and spirituality exist because as humans, I don't know that we're able to function without it to our highest potential. For sure. Well, and we need, I mean, beliefs are powerful, right? Beliefs are super powerful. Um, to be completely nihilistic and believe in nothing is, I, I'm not sure exactly how that serves you. Maybe someone's figured that out. I always sort of put it in terms of this analogy of like, um, and this is how I sort of explain, I guess, to myself, um, why super smart, well-adjusted, very intelligent people would still remain, you know, within a religious structure. Cause we have a lot of that. And I think that that's really difficult for like atheists to under like staunch atheists cannot understand that. And they really look down on anybody who's like, no, I'm, I would call myself a Christian. And they're just like, well, you're a fucking moron. And it's like, no, they're not. And the reason that they're not is, uh, this analogy that I have is basically like, um, you know, you could make a really good faith argument right now, philosophically that free will does not exist. Uh, you could back, you could even back it up with some science. So there is a strong argument out there currently that free will is not a real thing, that everything that we do is predetermined. How does that serve me in my life exactly. to believe that? It really doesn't. So even if the scientific community came out and said, we 100% know, like we have proven without a doubt that free will is as non-existent as fucking unicorns, uh, <laughs> I would probably still choose to believe for myself that I do have some free will and some agency over my life. Because what kind of life would it be if I didn't have that? And I think, like, to me, that analogy is always sort of cut to the heart of, like, spirituality and religion of being like, we're all just fucking floating in this nonsense and grasping for meaning wherever we can find it. And so if you can find meaning somewhere, like it doesn't matter if it's true, true. It just matters that it's true to you and that it mm. serves you and that it helps like, you know, bolster your life and like and bring joy to you and peace and 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 serve you in a way that helps you serve others and like bring more love to your life. And if it's doing all those things, who the fuck cares if it's actually true, right? Like at the end of the day, uh, we're all gonna fucking die. And like, you know, I think Except a lot of Disney. really, a lot of really smart people have have pointed out the fact that like what we have is just our time here on earth and, and the relationships and connections that we make. And like, those are the most meaningful things. So how do we like imbue as much meaning into what actually matters as possible? Whatever belief system that you want to have, that's going to serve you in that way. Fucking, I say, go for it. Hmm. Amen. Yeah, buddy. Let them know. We're all just out here. That's what we say on this podcast. We're all we just out all here. Just out here. We're just a bunch of uh, buds. We're just out here. Jeff, how important is uh, music, playing music, or teaching music, or just even like listening to music? How important is that to like keeping you in tune with your your spirituality? It's really important, which is why when I'm not practicing regularly, I'm out of whack. Like, and so obviously I play regularly, but 
there's a reason why it's called practicing because it's a practice, you know, and it's, it's, it's a meditation of its own sort. And that really helps me, even if it's just a simple warm up, a simple, um, get things started, you know, not, not like a, not like I'm trying to accomplish anything too much, but even if it's just a simple regular exercise that I do every day, that centers me like a meditation would be and helps me have a good day. The happiest I ever was and the most centered I ever was and goal oriented and clear sighted was when I was a freshman in college because I would wake up every day before my first 8am class, I'd get to the music building. I'd be the, like the first or the second one there in the dingy practice room basement. There was the same room that I would go to and I'd do my 30 to 60 minute morning routine, whatever it was that day. And, uh, I did the same thing every day and it felt so good to do that. But I'm slacking right now, Dan. So that's why we're here chopping it up, you know? <laughs> yeah. I mean, is it usually pretty easy for you to, like, maintain that discipline once you have it going? I think that like, if I start thinking about it now, what I'm trying to do is make it more of a spiritual practice and incorporating more things that are part of my routine into a spiritual side of it. So it's like if I leave them untethered as just things that I like to do, maybe getting that habit is a little bit challenging, but right now and going forward. And like this year has, has been um, the catalyst for this type of thinking. I'm trying to make my actions on a, on a day to day, simple task to simple task, more spiritual and more connected to a greater vision of my place. And so um, maybe that's my music practice, but maybe that's also my cold showers because I live in a tiny house and the, the, the hot water heater doesn't work. So all I got <laughs> is cold showers and we all know that those oh, are damn. good for you. So I'll take it. That's part of my spiritual practice now, you know? <laughs> well, what do you think, what do you think is at the heart of uh, imbuing things with spirituality? Like, what do you think if you had to sum it up in, in simple terms? Mindfulness. Right. Oof. I would Heavy. say just yeah. doing the activity Being with present. mind in the present. And uh, it's, it's impossible for me. I have such a hamster on the wheel brain. And I love that yeah. about myself. I love that about Jeff. That's what has allowed me, him to accomplish so many things, right? Because the ideas. But and when I'm in the shower, it's okay for me to just get hit in the face with that cold water. I don't need to be thinking about the 20 things that are happening in my day. And I think that's another reason why I do like the cold showers because they do bring you right into the moment because it's painful. Pain actually makes you present. Damn. Yeah, that's heavy because it's like I love to stand in the shower for a <laughs> solid 15, 20. Like, just yeah, it like, does. I, like I just love the space of like being in water. It's like the same thing as mm. like. If I go to somebody's house with that has like a pool or a hot tub, like I'll stay in the whole day. Like I don't like don't I'm you just get the down. smudgy woodies? Yeah, you do. But that's the <laughs> price you pay for some, you know, a water experience of everything of comes that at a cost, life, you know? Yeah. Or like have either of you done the flotation tanks? I, I really, really want to. You have. Ah. I have okay. a few. Yeah. Where should I go? same i've done the same i would recommend going to float on and make sure that you get the actual tank none of the open room stuff like um get the float actual shop. float shop also has some good shit on 23rd 
The flow uh, shop. I want to be is, a completely yeah. alone. Yeah, with... flow shop will will give you that for sure. Float on probably can too, but like you said, but just Dan, make sure you just I make sure you get asleep? the actual. You no. got to make sure you get that actual chamber, in my opinion. You like for a first time Andrew. experience. I am I, a good first, sleeper. I, I you put me on my bed. I'm out within five minutes. You're snoring, not guaranteed. You're not on a bed. I mean, I guess it's possible that you could fall asleep uh, in a float tank. But I think that there's something so jarring about the full sensory deprivation okay. that it your body is like too fucked up about it to you're not cozy and comfortable. Like I would say you would be more likely to fall asleep just laying on the floor without a pillow than mm. you would be to do it in the float tank. You just sort of it allows you to sort of shut everything off um and just I mean, so I've done it four times and the first time that I did it, I achieved like an actual psychedelic state just through pure chance. Like it just happened, but it happened, you know, sometime about halfway through. I really like, I forgot that I was in a float tank and I was not asleep because as soon as the like little soft music started, you know, the inception music that's pulling yeah, you back. starts like starts pulling me back in like i i came right back into my body and like sort of realized what was happening but i was like really i was somewhere totally different and it was not a dream um mm. the only other time that i've experienced a state like that would be like uh one time after doing like a, a 90 minute kundalini yoga session and listening and then laying on the ground and listening to this like you know kundalini master play the gong for 30 minutes i drifted off into the same space where again like the moment that he stopped the gong i like snapped back into my body i wasn't asleep but i wasn't in my body either and it, the same thing happened with the float the other times that i did it i wasn't able to achieve the same thing i just was floating in a tank in silence and darkness being like this is really weird and I feel like I've been here forever and I think I'm over it and re you know I was just like too much in my mind mm -hmm. um, but I do think it's a powerful tool um, and I'm endlessly fascinated with any technique that can allow you to ch achieve some form of altered state or psychedelic state without having to take you know a substance because as much as I revere like mushrooms in particular um, mushrooms are very jarring and I've, I've done them, you know, many times, but I still, if I know I'm going to do like a sacred mushroom ceremony, which I typically do about once every 12 to 18 months, I am scared every single time. <laughs> doesn't matter that I've done it like 15 times before. I am fucking freaked out every time because I know that I'm about to board a fucking rocket ship and mm -hmm. just blast off. And that's, and that's hard jarring. I don't drift off into it, you know? No one does. You just like, it fucking hits you so hard and it's the transition is so difficult. And so these other things that allow you to sort of like sweetly drift off into and transition into a psychedelic state. Uh, you know, I think it's nothing short of a miracle. It's wonderful, but it's just, it's difficult to do it. Uh, and it's unlike mushrooms, which is like, it's going to give it to you every time, you know, the float tank or meditation or a Kundalini yoga session. Like there's no, you gotta guarantee work at it. It. it requires practice. You got to Yeah, you got to work a little bit. 
to get it for sure. Yeah, I've done it about four times and uh yeah, have I've had different experiences. I would say about 3 or 4 of them have been pretty great though and I've like achieved something like where I feel like I'm in a different space and also um I just think the uh, achieving weightlessness is like the big like that's what you're in there to do to like completely relieve yourself of feeling like your body and that feeling alone, Mm -hmm. like aside from maybe like tapping into like some other realms or like some psychedelic shit. Even if your mind is fucked up about it the whole time, you're going to leave and be like, I feel like it's, yeah, it's un it's unreal. And like, that's why it's, it's so useful too. not like just from a spiritual, like some people use it for spiritual practice. And then sometimes pregnant women use it to like relieve pain like in Mm -hmm. in their later trimesters you know and like athletes use it to rejuvenate after like tough games and stuff and just to like and isn't that a common trait with all these psychedelic experiences that they become this spiritual thing but then oh and wait it's beneficial for this and for this and for this and all these countless other things absolutely yeah it's it's a trip it's it's a cool it is a cool thing too to just be able to like go into this room and kind of induce this experience without having to really necessarily like put something in your body to fuck with the brain chemistry in whatever whatever happens there. It almost and makes it, it seem d- more authentic cuz it's like you did it. Yeah, because I do think you have to like Maybe there's some luck involved a little bit when, like when you get in one of those tanks, but it is something you have to figure out because your, your body, you know, it bobs back and forth and shit. So you really have to like get in a spot where you're, you know, you're just kind of calming the body to a point where it's not moving a whole lot. Cause if you're moving, then you're like, that's going to be pretty easy to notice for the most, like, especially right. while you're slipping into you're something. You're going to create Maybe- a sensation. Exactly. exactly. Yeah, you have to so, not move. So it does take some. Do you think that people some... don't know what they're going for when they go in, and maybe that's why they don't always achieve that kind of experience? I mean, I'm actually glad that I'm getting to talk to you about it, so I can maybe have some more concepts in my mind. Absolutely. I think that. Um, yeah, I think that it's like, like anything. If you haven't experienced it before, you just don't really know what you're fucking getting yourself into. And like Dan said. You know, I sort of had this notion of like, cool, I'll get in there and like, it's all just going to happen for me. <laughs> mm-hmm. But like Dan said, it's right, like, which, no, like you... mushrooms might as it's tearing you onto that rocket ship, like you were right. saying before, but, you don't have as much yeah. of a choice. Right. No, but with you're the float fucking tank, going, dude. With the float tank, it's like, no, you got to be still. You got to be very still. And then like, maybe something will happen. But until you mm-hmm. can still your mind and still your body uh, and calm them to the point that there's no you know, there's no movement. So you're not like bumping into the wall or anything like that. Uh, yeah. You're, you're probably not going to get that same experience. You're just going to get the experience of like, yeah, I was in a dark chamber floating in super salty water for 90 minutes. And if you get it in Tasty. your eye, it really fucking hurts. <laughs> um, Where my goggles. But yeah. I mean, I, yeah, not everybody is going to achieve like that aspect of it. But I do feel like also, you know, like maybe it's not going to live up to the hype for some of the people that are like right. going in for that. But for the people like, 
you can't deny the the physical benefactors of like being in that much epsom salt is just good for your body oh there you go you know so like you're probably gonna leave feeling refreshed like as if you came out of like a massage or something like that see the problem either way with all these really interesting things that we were talking about mushrooms and the 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 sensory deprivation tank and you know sweat lodges and fasting or long meditation like kundalini meditation you said you had some experiences with that andrew i haven't done it but i've heard about that really interesting stuff to me the all these things they make me worry a little bit because they are all experiences and they're all commodified experiences to an extent and I, i wonder like as we sort of are breaking away from um, our Christian spirituality filter and moving into a more holistic world religion based filter, getting some Eastern practices, we end up just kind of being thrill seekers, mm. you know, and I've noticed that a lot with how people treat these spiritual things to me. I'm like, this is a, a profound and important thing. And then it just becomes another party drug or it becomes like, Oh, yeah. Hey, I went to the sensory deprivation tank and like, you got to check it out, bro. You know, I tripped out. It was, wild. No, yeah, yeah, I feel, I feel sure. you. I feel you. I think it also, it, it's all about just like with anything. I think it's, it's about the intent that you use it and like how you value it. Yeah. You and know? how do you, like if how I go are you to integrate it? Like if I, right, right. What are you going to take from have, after? You also have some folks that are like, um, really trying to gain some knowledge out of these experiences. They're trying to unlock some pieces of the puzzle and, um, especially with something like a, a sensory deprivation tank to be able to go into something like that with, for a couple hours and maybe to be able to f- reflect or, or think about contemplate a big decision in your life. Ah, uh, yeah. Know? And maybe you're using it like that maybe once a month or, or once a week, even this, you should make a pamphlet, to, man. <laughs> this place to do something. He already like has that. one. I actually already have Are a PowerPoint uh, presentation. Really want that. Um, Are you kidding me? Uh, like five years ago, I was really trying to open up a float center. So I went, I went real heavy. <laughs> I went real heavy. That's but good. But see, that's the, the point kind is, of, mm-hmm. no, go ahead. Go I ahead. was just going to say, that's the kind of, theology that i want to see more of like i want you know dan cable to be like hey man you know you want to reach the next level check this out hit the float tank like let's talk about (laughs) it afterwards no just like but if you got like i don't know i've used it i feel like i've used it like that maybe in one occasion or you know or maybe a couple of the times that i've gone after going the first time where you know i'm just like just like going into some sort of mushroom trip like there's some some big dose with some, you know, a few small group of people like, yeah, I'm, I'm trying to go into that with some intent, you know, like I know that it's going to be a fucking powerful experience. So let's go in, you know, with that mindset instead of the party, you know, I'm not, I've, I've done psychedelics at a at a music festival it wasn't it wasn't necessarily like my favorite thing like Mm. or or at least like that amount of them you know like that's just like something i want to probably experience with a a smaller group or even like by myself or whatever but like yeah i think if you're you're using things like a flow tank to like make big decisions or or like just figure some shit out you know and you're treating it with the respect then just like, you know, someone that's maybe a devout 
Catholic or a devout Muslim, like, you know, those, those things often have like negative connotation from the people that don't identify with religion. But some of those people are doing the thing the right way too. And they're really like actually tapping in to this thing. And they're like living Jesus's like message right? to like its core values and are just like the salt of the earth. They are these fucking people. They are these people, Jeff, that like made you feel good in their home when right. they, when you went to their home and you were like impressed and you were like, you felt them grounded and like that shit's contagious. And you know, ah. it's, I don't know. Yeah. I think it would be very, uh, it would be very foolish to think that religious people don't have legit mystical experiences because they do like they do have these encounters with God without psychedelics and float tanks and these things. Yeah. Um, and largely it's probably brought on by some form of practice, whether that's prayer or music or something. Um, but it's all to me, it's all real. It's all legit. Um, and it's just a matter of like, again, like it's a matter of how you frame it. And it's a matter of like, what do you do with the experience when it's done and how do you integrate it into your life? Um, and that's why for me, like if I'm going to take, you know, if I'm going to take a bunch of mushrooms, like that's going to be a ceremony. That's going to be, I'm going to have a whole day before I do it where I am like, or even like one of the last times I did it about a year ago, I had a whole weekend of essentially like, uh, toggling between meditation and yoga and like intense breath work and like these tight knit like circles of like trying to with other men, like trying to deconstruct our egos. Mm. And then after three days of doing that, then I took the mushrooms. Like I primed myself so hard so that when I then did the mushrooms and, and when I did it, I took mushrooms and I laid in stillness and darkness for four hours after like feeling them hit me. Like then we all laid down in stillness and darkness and someone put on this like, you know, instrumental playlist and I fucking just merged with loving awareness for four hours, which felt like an eternity, but in the best way. And then, you know, came back into my body, but like, and then we all sat around the fire and we, we talked about it and we like tried to integrate it back into our lives. It was this ceremony that wasn't like you said, Jeff, it wasn't about trying to commodify the experience. It wasn't a thrill seeking experience. It mm. was, uh, how do we, uh, how do we codify all of the work that we just did this intense work that we just did as a group together in terms of like shadow work and deconstructing our egos and trying to reconnect to our bodies. So we just did that practice for three days together intensely. And then we ended it with the mushroom trip as a way to try to like codify it into our mm -hmm. actual life and like solidify that thing so that it wasn't just this, um, yeah, it wasn't just this like thrill-seeking experience, but it was you something really used that was it like meaningful. a tool. Yeah, yeah, exactly, and that's that's how I view. You know, I've I've definitely taken mushrooms at a or acid. Uh, you know, just to fuck around. <laughs> we all have. Um, 
but yeah, I don't, I don't really view it that way anymore. I, I do view it as sort of this, uh, like this sort of like, you know, not to sound too woo woo, but like I do view it as this going sort of to sound very woo woo. I do view it as a sort of sacred medicine that like, uh, that if we take it seriously enough and we give it some reverence, like it, it has immense value for us, but we just, but we have to put in the work alongside what it's going to give to us. And we got to take that message and bring that, listen, this might sound crazy. We got to bring that to the young people because I've got a history of addiction <laughs> in my family. No, listen, I've got addiction in my family. And if, if my family had been brought up and there was an outlet for intense drug or psychedelic experiences and it was regulated and ritualized and there was conversation before and after i mean andrew that's like Mm -hmm. a a weekend utopia that you're describing you gotta tell me the name of that i want to go i i swear to god that the people in my family who struggle this would have been a cure almost sure yeah and And it can lots of people get that it can be it It can be um and also i don't think in the history of psychedelic mushrooms, I don't think anyone's ever gotten addicted to psychedelic mushrooms because after you do an intense psychedelic mushrooms trip, the last thing that you want to do after that is more mushrooms. You're like, cool. That was great. I am good on that for, it's like climbing a fucking mountain. You don't want to wake up the next day and climb the mountain again. You're like, no, we did it. It was amazing. I don't want to do it for a while. I need a break. I need a rest. Yeah. I think, I think that they're, you know, even people that do get a super meaningful spiritual experience out of it, though, you know, it's easy to to want to like keep experiencing that too. Because it's good; it's better than the mundane pain. Yeah, like depending on what your situation is, like like if you're really like having deep term turmoil in your life, and you know, maybe you're in a super dark place that yeah, I don't can think, feel like a pretty gnarly the thing is, is like if you're in a super dark place i don't think mushrooms or psychedelics are the thing for you uh necessarily yeah, but, i mean i yeah. just i i guess i just feel like um if you're in a really dark place and you have an intense psychedelic trip it's probably going to be pretty dark yeah it's probably not sure. going to be the super euphoric trip that i had in thailand where I like, you know, merged with everything and, and whatever, like, it's probably not going to be that it's probably going to be, uh, it's probably going to be pretty dark. You're probably going to confront some demons and in that way, it's going to be very healing right, and beneficial for you on the other end, but it's not going to be something that you want to go right back to. Yeah. I don't know. I just think the, maybe like the thoughts of you know, even, even if you just do have like the euphoric experience and you're, you're in a good spot to like feel that relief from your body and maybe your actual reality can be like something that can keep pulling you in. Yeah. Like more regularly and you, you can like, I don't know. I guess coming from someone who does have a very addictive personality and has a you know addictions to to certain things that are even still present to this day like i've had the most incredible euphoric experiences on mushrooms heaven like experiences on mushrooms 
godlike experiences on mushrooms. But the day after those experiences, I was not looking to go back because it's just yeah. too. It's too much. It's too. Then again, you have gone back since then, right? But I, I think that what people don't understand who haven't done it is that to achieve, it's not the same as doing like uh, MDMA, which is very euphoric and will make you feel really good and love everything and just be really fucking stoked to be alive. And I think that that's beautiful and great and serves its own therapeutic, you know, purpose as well. But mushrooms, like an intense psychedelic trip is going to shatter you. And in in the shattering, like you might go into a dark place, you might go into something super euphoric, but euphoric isn't even the right word for it because you're not you anymore. Like you've shattered who you are. And so the next day when you come back, you're like the, the uh, experience and the heaviness of having shattered yourself to achieve that state you're just not ready to do it again. It's too laborious. Like it's just, it's so much on your psyche. And even Jeff, to your point earlier, like it's a lot on your body. You're fucking exhausted after an experience like that. You feel like you actually climbed a mountain the day before after an intense psychedelic (laughs) trip. So the last thing that you want to do is just pop more mushrooms. Like, you're like, no, I gotta. I have some shit I gotta think about and work through now. <laughs> like, that's the last thing on your mind. Is like, let's do it again. It's too intense. It's like the most insane, mind-bending roller coaster that you couldn't even possibly comprehend. Like, and you just you don't want to hop on it again. It was fun. It was it was interesting. It was transcendent and beautiful. And like, but it's it's not. You know, they're they're sort of like moments that I think a lot of people treat it this way. Uh, you know, it's something that you do maybe once every six months or 12 months or 18 months or whatever to, to sort of reset and recheck in with that part of yourself with the, with the divine part of yourself, but you can't do it on a daily basis because you're gonna, you're going to crack yourself open. And so if you do it every day, uh, even as a healthy individual, I think you know that like, you'll just go mad. (laughs) <laughs> i think the uh i i oh, sorry, i agree with everything you're saying <laughs> i was just maybe more speaking to like some folks that that i've i've observed that are just like yo i did this like three or four weeks ago and i'm i'm gonna like i'll go go do another fucking decent size trip again you know and maybe do it way more like regularly like maybe nine to 12 times a year sure and i've been there listen i went through a period where i did acid every weekend so it's not like (laughs) he's like my brain's melted don't worry yeah don't don't worry i know i think the question is what makes something an addiction and what makes something just a regular part of your life yeah Mm. well and i think it's a matter of whether or not like that thing drives your behavior or if you're still in control of it. Or may- um, yeah, I mean, doesn't everything drive your behavior? Food, love, attention. I mean, I feel like my behavior is yeah, driven buddy. by so many things. And like, I, I would say that I am, I have an addiction to music 
basically like i have to like mm. make it or produce it or like play it or else i'm like i'm very unhappy so it's it's a good thing for my life because it it brings me joy and like is an interesting thing to do during life but it's definitely an addiction and controls a lot of aspects of my myself and has impacted my relationships in the past it has torn me away from my family you know because of travel and it was something i wanted to do but that could be looked on as you know, the point is, is that it controls me to an extent and it is an addiction, but it's, I would say it's a positive addiction. So maybe the question isn't, are mushrooms addictive? The question is, is it a net benefit addiction as compared to other drugs like opioids or we could talk about, you know, marijuana, depending, like if something's working for somebody, maybe then we just have a different term. Right. Yeah. I feel you. I was also thinking about when you brought up, um, you know, things like mushrooms or float tanks kind of becoming just like this thrill seeking thing. I think that like just going back to everybody, it's, it's however you value that experience. Cause the same thing can be said for people that are in bands or just like involved in a music community. Like you can have the people that just love to get drunk and play music or perform music and they don't really, you know, do a lot of preparing or think about things too much. Cause it's just about the party and they go do the thing. And then there's people that build like meaningful relationships with their instruments and take those very seriously and pay them much attention. Like maybe someone like yourself, you know, that's just like very tapped into your instrument and you just like love playing music and collaborating with people and like, you obviously value that super heavy and for some people mm-hmm. it is not that but those things like yeah they exist and people have their different experience with them with the same thing the same entity of music uh, it, funny that you said that too it makes me think about me saying oh yeah music is my god and what, what does that mean like sometimes if you're working on a piece of music it's like well why do we have to like especially with my students it's like why do we have to play this you know as perfectly as we can and it's like well we're not doing it for us we're like doing it for the music as if it's like this entity that we have to appease and like our worship of it is like trying to play and express as beautifully or as quote perfectly whatever that means in the different situation uh it's this thing it's outside force yeah especially with like you being a, a trombone player like you're not this instrument that like compose it like starts the tune of like figuring out you know the composition you're like the added flavor so you're like your whole trip often is having to serve the song right like Mm, serve this greater good yeah like it's just like the nature of your instrument if it's like done well i guess like most players players. yeah (laughs) guitarists you gotta watch out they're always trying to take it's all we're, me, me, me. We're always turning up. I'm a guitarist. We're oh. always turning up. Sound yeah. guy yeah. says, hey, turn it down a little bit. And I go, cool, I'll turn it up a, just a half notch. Um, Jeff, I'm curious, <laughs> what awesome. do you think What do you think it is about music in particular that uh, is so, I guess, for lack of a better term, like spiritual? Uh. You know, like I have that same relationship with music where it's just... Um, there's nothing that brings me more peace and joy and, and feeling centered in who I am as like writing a song that I like or 
you know, participating in something musically that's just fulfilling. Right. Um, but yeah, I'm curious what your take is on like, what is it about, about it? That's just th- so, yeah. It sets it Amazing. apart from all other activities and art forms. I think there's a few things about it that make it particularly spiritual, perhaps more than through any of our other senses. I think the first thing is that it exists um, in our experience of music. It's directly tethered to the fact that we are three dimensional and we can't, we, we like see time in slices. And so music is like, the movie of the slices of times, but for our ears. And so what I, what that does for me is it forces me to be present back to that kind of idea, you know, cause I have to, I have to be aware of each sound in each moment and keep track of them for me to experience the art. So there's no way for me to experience it without being present. You literally have to be right there. Um, and so it, it, that, that alone feels spiritual, but I think that the other part of it is the vibrations, you know, it's like when sound is hitting my body, it's affecting me. It's affecting the, the physics of my body. Like we know that, um, you know, we are just made up of moving things. And, and I, I think there might be something like, I don't know, I, I hesitate to get too scientific, but there's, because especially since there's a lot of sort of woo-woo pseudoscience around the, the, the analogies yeah, of the vibrations, vibra- but I do sure, believe that sure. when you are in a group of, a large group of people and you are communicating with music together, that you are physically linked to those people in a way that you wouldn't be otherwise. Like you, you mm. are tuned to them via the shared musical experience in a physical way. Um, whereas sports, right, so everybody is, ex- is profoundly experiencing the same present moment together in communion. That's uh, one, but then also physically way. their bodies are more similar to each other in that moment. Like, because they're moving together, uh, even if they're not uh, dancing, because uh-huh. the sound waves are moving them, whether you want it to or not, when sound hits your body, your skin is rippling. Well, I think there's something to that. And, and I think rave culture is probably evidence of that. Um, you know, say what you want about it, but like rave culture is I evidence of things. drugs, Andrew. Yeah, but it's evidence of drugs <laughs> and mischief. Okay, mischief. okay Daniel. <laughs> but I, I just think that I just think that um, you know, I know a lot of people who, and I I've been to raves, and I've been to raves on drugs, but like I know a lot of people who've gotten really sort of. Um, you know, kind of obsessed with the experience of, of the group EDM experience. And part of it is because like, it is so intense compared to other concert experiences. Like the bass is so heavy that it rocks your spine. You feel it in your body in a way that is like so insane. And yeah. So to your point, Jeff, like, I don't know that communal experience of everybody's body literally vibrating to the beat of the music uh that's i don't know that's very interesting it's almost like if you're feeling more connected to people outside of yourself that is a step towards enlightenment or like if these psychedelic experiences that we've talked about have been like Mm -hmm. connecting to all things then like connecting to a large mass at a concert is closer there than me by myself in my little house you know 
it's a step in the right spiritual direction. And, uh, you know, I went to the, the Timbers game last year and you sing in the, you sing with the Timbers army. And Ooh. I love that about Portland, that there's like this really strong musical creative element because it does enhance that psychedelic experience. And I'm not actually a soccer fan. I was just there with a friend, but I, I loved witnessing it in because I experienced concerts far more than I experienced sporting events. But I love how there's like almost an exact similarity there. Oh man, it's it's intense. I have a a spiritual secret for you. Uh, Nobody is a soccer fan in America. (laughs) I hope my brother doesn't listen to this. Wow, nobody is a soccer fan. But that—that's not a shared. That's not a shared opinion. Um, (laughs) uh, I'm just kidding. The experience of a a crowd like that is is insane and also undeniable. When people are locked in together like that. Man, yeah, that like Deeply the spiritual. energy that can exist in a in a spot like a stadium is is mm. insane. Now insane. we got to get all those people on a crazy mushroom trip at the same time in that stadium. <laughs> now we're talking. That would be. Now, now we're talking. Yeah. Or, how about a stadium full of float tanks? What happens then? Ooh. What happens then? That would be like a really interesting thing to see is a large group of people. We don't need a stadium, but even if you took 50 to 100 people and put put a bunch of float takes in a warehouse and had everybody enter and exit at the exact same time Whoa. just to like see how people oriented after that oh my god if you had a top-down picture of that i mean yeah that would be just a crazy like art yeah piece. if there's just like a balcony view of like this warehouse just to just kind of see people walk out um yeah it would just well, you would know what bible buds wild. is gonna sponsor that experiment exactly are we <laughs> yeah who are we getting yeah. to sponsor we're gonna, our sponsorship we're gonna, <laughs> we're gonna rent out providence park and we're gonna fill the ground level with 150 float tanks and yeah. we're going to see what happens. Can't yeah, wait. man. Yo, energy is like, energy I think is like crazy real in sports though. Like within a sports game, like when you think about momentum of a crowd right. and seeing the shifts in a game and how those things affect the game sometimes exactly. or just like when a team when you catch a rhythm, I used to shoot a lot of pool mm. and, um, it was fun cause I was good at it for a while and <laughs> I don't, I don't really do it often anymore. So it's just like your instrument. Like if you don't play it, yeah, like, it gets rusty, you're not going to, yeah, it's going to, it's going to be rough. Like you, you know, your way around it still, you can pick it up whenever and like play, but, um, like there's just this flow that you can get into sometimes in something like that or just like watching watching somebody in a basketball game that hits like more than 10 threes and it's just like whoa they are just feeling it they are not missing Mm -hmm. every time they kick it out to this person they fucking put it through the hoop and their brain is like off the, they're just yeah dude. channeling you're just feel it's all feel because like, i think most people will say that times in yeah. practice most people i think would just attribute it to that like you're just the feel is all there like you're just in a fucking rhythm where you can lock into that thing every single time it's, it's very interesting. There's a psychedelic state right there for for the athlete. We were talking about the crowd, but now all of a sudden, another 
example. Absolutely. Especially like you think about the athlete that's able to put the crowd noise um, completely to silence. And like what a meditative state that is. Somebody's at the free throw line in a crowd like on the road and this crowd is just fucking just booing the fuck out of them and they're trying to hit game changing shots and you're the best shooter but you still have to like ice that out right and the same yeah same goes for any any big like sports moment i guess you know on either side and so it's like you don't have to be sitting cross-legged with your uh saying your mantra that you got from the yogi down the street you know that literally that moment for those people is them meditating for right? sure absolutely and, and do you think that have... there's oh so i was just uh, gonna say i think there's something with as someone who's not like a huge sports follower but i've played sports um and enjoyed them like i do think that there is like a really uh intensely spiritual element to being a top-notch athlete that gets overlooked quite a bit um and yeah i mean like dan you're you know you're pointing out these like specific moments where it shows up but um to be that good at a game whether it's playing pool or shooting a ball in a basket or whatever like in order to achieve that it requires a in a lot of cases it requires more than just like the physical aspect of it it requires yeah. this yeah. like mental spiritual aspect as well which is you know Discipline. why i think it's really interesting that like i don't know for a long time like i sort of have written off like athletes as like oh they're just like dumb idiots that like play this game for a living but they're actually like living a kind of like almost semi-monastic life in the way that yep. they are practicing their thing constantly so that they can be spiritually connected to it physically connected to it um and so that when that moment arrives they're ready to sink yeah, the yeah. shot amidst the booze that's why they attribute that shit to god so much right that's why the athlete's like first it's up to god just like yeah because you tapped into some other shit to like to fucking be that good in that moment yeah, I don't yeah, know. Yeah, the human it's, part's yeah, what's holding us back. The brain. I used to play tennis, and it was always this, you know, as soon as the other player was in my head, it, it would be a much harder game. And yeah, it's yeah, it's like I needed to, to be less human, and maybe that yeah. meant I needed to be more animal-like. And so in that sense, I and I do feel this to some extent, I think that animals are sort of more naturally tapped into to that, that state because they don't have to deal with their chitter-chatter box. For sure. And I don't know, it's, it's, it's interesting also because it's always a different experience for those people. Like no one game is ever going to be the same for any of those people participating. It's always going to play out differently. You can only predict so much. You can, yeah, you can't necessarily prepare for every single moment. So you just have to be in that flow. Yeah. Improvising. Yeah. I don't know. It's, it's, uh, it's cool. It's cool how it can play across the board into like any activity, you know? Yeah. It's kind of the same type of energy, even a conversation. You know what I mean? I, I always, always say it's, it's like the flow state there as well. Yeah. 
Like I, I don't know. I feel like I can, I can usually at certain points I can tap in to any of this like psychedelic shit or any of the float tank shit when I'm playing ice hockey. Like when I'm locked in, especially, yeah, especially like playing goalie, like the thing that I'm like good at when, when it's just all, all flow state and not thinking about anything and not in my head about it. Right. Cause that's like the mind fuck of playing a position like goalie in soccer or hockey is that there's potentially half the game. There could be no action. So like your entire game sometime is like a mental game to stay in the game. Like, right. How do I feel connected to this thing still, you know? So when what that a beautiful one moment comes. metaphor for life of like being, uh, having some form of practice so that just when the ball comes your way, you're fucking ready. Yep. Yeah. Cause it's going to come your way. Uh, and you're going to spend a lot of time, just waiting but you need to be you got to be ready for it yeah i had to run after that guy when he broke through my car window and if i hadn't been walking every day i'm joking (laughs) i did have to do that though did you have to do that somebody trying to break trying to steal your instruments jeff they no i had my instrument on my back they were trying to take my backpack but it's okay you know they dropped it it was all is forgiven to any musicians out there if you are leaving your musical (laughs) shit in your car for any amount of time, you are fucking up. Do not do that ever. <laughs> I know so many people yeah. who have had their shit stolen. Just don't do it. Dude. Andrew, it's hard. I came from a small town. Nobody even locked their, their houses the or their car doors. And then I came to Portland. Yo, Portland and like San Francisco, notorious for this shit. Dude, I live... Someone tried... A couple weeks ago, someone tried to steal my catalytic converter from underneath my car with a <laughs> fucking saw. That's next level. 5 a.m. in the morning, they're sawing through metal in a neighborhood. Like, there's houses everywhere. And uh, thankfully, one of my neighbors stopped them, and yeah. they didn't steal the converter, but they were very close. Oh, wow, they your were very close. In. Yeah, my neighbors... I, it didn't wake me up, even though it was, like, literally right next to me. I'm a, <laughs> I'm a deep sleeper, but... Um, yeah, that to say, like, Portland is wild. People are trying to steal your shit, so just know that. I guess Good. is all I'm trying to say. Don't leave your trombone in the car, kids. Don't leave don't, the trombone in the car. Please don't leave your trombone in the car. But, you know, in that situation where I came around the corner and I saw him breaking into it, it really released, like, a lot of fight or flight in me. And, actually, I would prefer to have a better spiritual practice so that when those crazy moments come... I am actually ready for it in the sense that I'm still able to take that step back and have that head in the game mindfulness moment. Even right, though. not have like the animalistic brain exactly. take over and be like, kill yeah. him, kill him. Well, that would be yeah. That would be like prime time to have some sort of like basic understanding of like a martial arts practice, right? Like a karate, <laughs> like something that like you have to you have to value shit to like mm-hmm. learn how to do it properly. That's another super spiritual one. I, I did that when I was in ninth and 10th grade because my cousin came to live with us and he was like a third degree black belt. So he was the real deal. And then I only made it up to brown belt because then when he moved away, I kind of stopped. But I always remember that because that was the same time that I was in my dad's church choir. And so that year it was like, 
you know, Tuesday night, Wednesday night at the dojo, Thursday night at choir practice at the church, Sunday during the day at the church. And I would I connect all four of those experiences because they all were so disciplined and mindful. Mm. I mean, the martial arts, you know, was Taekwondo. So the 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 master at the place, he didn't go into it, the philosophy of it too much. But the energy was still kind of there of it being a little bit. There was something more to it. It wasn't just like, hey, we're learning self-defense. It was like there was some <clears> ritual <throat> there. And I liked that. Mm hmm. Yeah, and like a, uh, there's a spirituality to it as well in terms of like a lot of martial arts practices aren't about like we're going to teach you how to fuck people up. Yeah. It's like no, we're going to teach you how to be how to be in the world and how to know how to protect yourself and protect others if that situation ever arises. But this is not about like <laughs> learning how to be a fucking physical bully like at all. Yeah. Um, a lot of times you're like learning how like the physical harm you're causing to somebody else is usually hopefully like restraining them right. or like putting them to sleep possibly. Yeah. The minimum <laughs> right. amount required <laughs> to handle the situation. Well, and like the thing with Taekwondo was that more than half of it was doing the forms, which was essentially ritualized yoga where it was more fighting positions but they're just yoga poses and you memorize right. them in sequence and that Fuck. is nothing but um a practice you know it's not even i need to start doing i know well, let's do it i need to start doing some taekwondo dude i saw people doing it in the park they weren't doing taekwondo they had sticks they were doing some stick version in the park all socially distanced probably not anymore because it's too cold i'll do i don't care i'll do some zoom taekwondo yeah. i'll fuck with it i see i don't have the space i'd have to move my couch <laughs> i'll come over to your house yeah how long you've been living in this tiny house um about a year and a half i moved in last july and uh yeah it's a tiny house on wheels it's it's, it's small but it's not uh cramped it's it's uh, it's like nine and a half feet wide and then twenty eight feet long. Hmm. What's that experience been like for you? I like it. I like I like um, having my own space and I like living minimally. Um, it's a nice incentive not to buy shit that I don't want or don't really need. Or it's right, like I like, buy. I a don't book. have space for that toaster. I, We're not going to get the toaster. I have a toaster oven, but I don't have an oven. So you're you're pretty much on point there. <laughs> I don't have space for the oven, but I do have space for a toaster oven. I love my toaster oven. But yeah, I get like a book though, and it's like, oh, I don't have a bookshelf, which is kind of sad. But also, it's it gives me the excuse to just give that book to somebody. Be like, hey, I love this book. I think it's right up your alley. Here, take it. Have it done for sure. Yeah. You know, for Keep sure. There is this weird uh, thing that we do where we we build these monuments to like. Look who at all the are. things that I've read. Yeah. Yeah. Well, this is it's, who it's, I am. Exactly. It's how you define yourself. Cause guess what? There is no defining yourself. So we make it up <laughs> for sure. Yeah. For I'm sure. Like, and look at all these dumb yeah. records that I've accumulated. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> look at these, this trombones. I'll yeah, stream Dan, about. You would not be fitting those records in a tiny house. No, not at <laughs> all. Take that's why I'm not. That, hey, that's them. why, that's why I'm not getting a tiny house get a huge house cause. oh good i thought you were <laughs> nope <laughs> just cool. let me put my tiny house in your backyard that's all i ask uh yeah absolutely if everybody had a tiny house we wouldn't have any backyards to put them in so <laughs> I'm, I'm a big supporter of other houses yeah it's cool that you get to like pull it off like are you still living within city limits then with yeah, this I'm, tiny house? I'm up in northeast off of Prescott. 
So oh, that's awesome. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so I basically just found like a, a yard, and like Portland's really Portland's really hip to it. Chloe, you daily changed the regulations so that you could park tiny houses legally. Um, and then I just sent out some emails and like found some people that were down for the idea. And so I rent the space in the backyard and I got the hookups and all that, but it's nice. Cause I, when I want to move it, you know, I can just take it with me. And I love this idea of being uh, a bit less tethered to one particular location. Like I do like to culturally put roots down and like make people, um, sorry, get to know people in the community and make friends like that. But at the end of the day, if I'm trapped in a place, it makes me uncomfortable. And uh, I also, I, yeah, I just get bored if I'm in any one place for too long. So I like the idea of constant movement in my life. Yeah. <clears throat> I think it's, that's a, it's a cool mentality to have that you're just like, I'm, I'm down to go anywhere. Sorry. I can't you, hear right yeah, now. Dan, I think you accidentally oh, there we mu- go. muted yourself. Can you hear me now? Oh, yeah, Dan, you're muted. You're muted. Fuck. Here we go Sorry. again with Dan Sorry. and the Zoom. Look, I, it's not a Zoom. I accidentally, I, my, my AirPods died and I... Uh, no, we're fine. Go, go on. muted the mic. Um, I don't know what I was talking about now. I think I was just saying that that's rad to... To, yeah, just to like have that mentality though and not feel too necessarily tied to where you're at and just be again just like ready to go to the next place if that's what's you know in the cards, I guess. I think I would have enjoyed being a um god following the herds, you know? What's the word? What am I thinking of? The herdsman. A herd follower? Herd follower. Uh <laughs> <laughs> no, you know, where you move you move from place to place. A nomad. A, a, nomad. a nomad. Yeah, nomadic. Yeah. I think I would have enjoyed being nomadic, you know? And you have some spots that you come back to regularly where you have more things built oh. up and established. But at the end of the day, you're kind of just moving about. And because stagnation to me is spiritual death, you know? If I wasn't ever making any new art or, like, meeting new people or having new conversations. Uh, and so, I mean, that's why I love the change of seasons, though. For sure. I mean, routine is uh, the killer of time. You get locked into a really rigid routine and then time starts to move very quickly. Um, And then all of a sudden you're like, holy shit, what just happened to the past year? Right. Um, And as as someone who has lived in L.A. for a good portion of my life, um, but I also lived in Colorado and Boston and now I live in Portland. Like I can't live. That's something that I know about myself. Like I can't live somewhere that doesn't have seasons, like actual seasons as much as this transition, especially right now with the current lockdown, like as much as this transition is very difficult with the sun setting at like fucking four thirty. um, yeah. At the same time, like, it's what is going to make spring and summer so beautiful. Totally. Because I had to... Price you pay. Yeah, I had to go through that. Um, And, yeah, when you live somewhere with no seasons, or if you live in a life that is just, like, the same... I think this is part of the reason why the lockdown (laughs) and the quarantine and the pandemic in general has, like, really hurt people spiritually, is that the very like persistent routine um 
and being kind of stuck in your home is just like it's it's really difficult yeah and it makes it fucks with your sense of time and it fucks with your sense of self and like uh yeah we need as human beings like we need some sense of novelty or transition to something new things to look forward um, to we came and like look forward to the holidays in the same way in a lot of in a lot of cases you right know? or yeah. travel or like a vacation yep. or right. like a tour if you're a musician like it's it's all fucking canceled everything's canceled it's just stay home and fucking watch netflix all day it's brutal for sure man especially like yeah jeff you were talking about maybe you know being being cool with being nomadic and you know living that lifestyle like that's the lifestyle of a musician like a touring musician you know that's that's the whole thing some people get very addicted just to that lifestyle and they're very comfortable with it and being at home is kind of jarring for them and being on the road is way more comfortable you know it's like similar to like uh a military right person or veteran you know where they're just like get really in tune with that lifestyle of going on deployment and then being back is like very can be very weird or you know not under those same constrainments and whatnot so right it's interesting yeah different people kind of gravitate toward needing a little bit more movement in that sense and then like somebody like my girlfriend jackie you know she's she really uh makes a nest where she is and, and wants to be there and wants to spend a lot of time in that place and like being home doesn't necessarily bother her you know she'll be all home all day for a couple of days and that's like great that's great for her that's when she's able to be creative you know but for right. me if i'm gonna have my full creative self it's because i like ran out and did this and that and this and then i come mm. back and then i've got the idea you know it's not from just stewing around and then it comes to me yeah you got to tap into like the full thing you need everything to click in to mm-hmm. to want to have that creative energy and whatnot but we are able to have like a conversation like this which is you know very stimulating especially when you talk about different things and you can kind of center it around your own spirituality you can still get that burst in a way like we have the best technology to do that now than ever before Mm. but i think it's almost to our detriment because since we have this technology we're like okay i guess we can fully lock down ourselves because we have just enough to keep us going i would rather we Uh. didn't have just enough because then we wouldn't be able to sustain this interesting yeah so what would you what do you think we would be doing instead without it like what do you think that folks did in a lockdown a hundred years ago during the spanish flu right yeah i mean i don't think that they worked remote (laughs) now like no what people didn't work remote what's that that doesn't even exist yeah right so all these things where we're like you know i'm getting i have to like quarantine for seven days to be able to see my girlfriend you know because she lives with a different with she doesn't live by herself and it's like well that's just because i have to work in real life with my band and i can't wear a mask and the singers can't wear a mask and so like you know what i mean like but in the 1918 flu the concept of having to work with people i don't know it's just it's another level right now compared to the quarantining and the types of restrictions that americans have ever seen before yeah yeah i mean it's uh it's definitely taken its toll on me. Um, you know, I had a job for the last... I just started a new job in, in August, but... Um, or I guess actually really September. 
but I had a job for about five years where, you know, I worked remote a few days a week and then I went into the office like, like it was, it was about 50, 50 split. Um, and I really liked that. I liked being able to be like, Oh, I'm just going to stay home today and get my shit done. And then like today I want to go to the office and see people and whatever. Um, and now that I'm like, have been stuck in fully remote mode for, you know, nine months, I'm like, this fucking sucks. Like this is just, and it's starting a new job fully remote is just, it's, it's void of, of everything, uh, that you would really want in terms of like starting a new job. Like you need some sense of, of community and Uh connection with your, with your new coworkers and like to feel like you're, you know, this thing that you're doing every day that you're serving some kind of purpose and you don't get that feeling when you're just sitting and, you know, this is the room that I sit in every day. Um, and I do this every, I do virtual meetings like this every fucking day, right? All day long. I had eight of them today. Um, thanks for looking at our faces right now. (laughs) And well, I mean, this one's a joy, but yeah, I mean, it's, it's brutal. It's, it's tough to not be able to just like have that like basic human connection. Um, and I think the reality is, is like, you know, as much as I've enjoyed this conversation with you, Jeff, like it, it would be much more meaningful if we were having it in person. Um, and if I, mm-hmm. you know, I hope to meet you in person one day, but when I meet you in person, <laughs> even though we've had this conversation, it's going to be meeting you for the first time. Right. Totally. Like, because you just, it's, there's something about being in the physical presence of, of another being. Um, for sure. and zoom is, is just not a replacement for that. Yeah. You can't feel the full spectrum of energy given off by a person like there we can still create a vibe you know you can feel a vibe but like yeah it's different for sure right yeah you're like on facetime with your uh your family you know it's not the same as having thanksgiving with everybody you know my god we did a family facetime and full disclosure <laughs> uh i think 20 minutes in i just like <laughs> was like i'm done and i just i just left and I acted like they'll probably chalk it up to, uh, you know, my connection was lost or whatever. But I was like, I just can't sit here and listen to like each individual go around and say, like, here's what we're making and what we're mm. up to. And then so the next person does the same thing. Yeah, it just was like, I love uh, you all so much, so much. Uh, and I desperately wish I was with you. <laughs> And being on this FaceTime is honestly making it worse. It's, it's, <laughs> it is contributing to my despair yeah. of not yeah. being with you. It's not helping. So I did it. You know, I, I've been here for 20 minutes and now like it's turning a different direction and I'm ready to leave. And so I did. You got to tap into that patience. Mm. You got to tap into that, y- that Yoda mode and, uh, really practice some next level patience for those, uh, those family FaceTimes, those group chats with more than like 10 people where everybody has to like kind of take a turn uh-huh. to speak about a topic is can be kind of rough. And then you feel like you're putting on some sort of fucking presentation. Right. 
like you're you're in a work meeting <laughs> yeah but yeah I'd rather be in person so after 20 minutes I can leave in person and go outside. Because, <laughs> like, the same thing does happen, you know? It's like if there's a yeah. family gathering, I'm not about to sit in there for the whole hour. But it's totally different because I'll bounce outside and then maybe my brother comes outside. And then we have this very beautiful, yeah, intimate interaction that sparks because of that. Everybody knows that, like, two of my uncles are going to disappear <laughs> into whatever basement possible and, like, have, you know yeah they're like done with it very quickly they're just hanging out no they're they're (laughs) like they're just trying to escape oh yeah the the fucking 30 person crowd right you know the 20 person crowd this like a lot compressor or whatever the fuck they can possibly talk about it's like a lot it does it's a lot you know it's a lot of people coming at you and you're you're having a lot of a lot of interactions. It's wild times, you know? Right. And it's it's all on the, on the Zoom or the FaceTime or whatever the hell you're using, you know? You have to go one at a time when a conversation with that many people is always bubbling and moving and uh, more of an improv, whereas this is, like, um, yeah. too regimented. Yeah. And maybe you, uh, you, I don't know, you interact differently on a one-on-one level with these people or something like that. So mm-hmm. it's interesting. Mm-hmm. But then you like try to participate because it feels like that's a good move too. Yeah, well, you're a bad son if you don't, you know. <laughs> Come on. Um. Well, fuck, Jeff. We went deep here. We we're like approaching two hours of this thing. Um, it's been a it's been a good conversation, man. I mean, you guys are awesome. Thanks for having me on the show. And I mean, I feel yeah, like the thing is, us. is that with spirituality, you can talk about everything because it's in everything. Yeah, all encompassing Amen. for sure. Um, yeah. Maybe uh, if you if you are willing, um, just leave us with like sort of your basic understanding of, or not to call your understanding basic, but just your high level understanding of like, uh, you know, what is this? Why are we here? What's it about? How do we how do we bring meaning into our life? You know how are how are you doing it? All right, he's putting me on the frying pan. I like it. Yeah, whatever you got, you know. It can be a one line. It can be a, a full solilo- soliloquy, whatever right. you um, What is this? You know, here's how I see it. Uh, we are slices of consciousness, which has usually been called spirit. And the essence of consciousness is is more like uh, a drop from an ocean and the ocean is behind all the physical matter that we see and our body is a computer that's like a rate that's like a transistor radio that's that's picking up a frequency of of that big ocean of consciousness but however it works the point is is that the essence of my consciousness is the same essence as your consciousness and everybody's and it also corresponds to a larger consciousness that exists and permeates all things. And I think actually reality is in the same way that I have a thought in my brain and that thought is like a cloud in my consciousness. That's what I think all reality is in the, in the like God consciousness. Mm. And so like when I, that, that form of consciousness is what people call God. And uh, so we're here and we are part and we're like a concept of the God consciousness. We're like a thought that the God consciousness is having, but we're also our own independent God consciousnesses. So that's pretty cool. And so we're kind of we're like a cell in the body and we're figuring it out. And our purpose is to experience 
the inside of it. This this entity, this all consciousness, it doesn't even know what it is. So we're this like little piece that gets to witness it and shine a light on it for oh, yeah. itself. And I think that we got to be as creative as possible and be as beautiful as possible and create as much love as possible and expand. I, this, is, this is where I like to get a little funky. I think we got to expand to the far reaches of the universe and spread life and creativity and art and make this universe the most beautiful piece that it could possibly come to. I don't know. <laughs> Amen. That was amazing. And you know what? I wouldn't have put you on the spot if I didn't think you could do it, but I was quite certain that you could, (laughs) and you did. Uh, That was fantastic. Thanks for letting me roll with that one, guys. That's Jeff Chilton, everybody. That's Jeff Chilton, Bible Buds. Bible Buds. Uh, um, We'll put all the links in the episode notes so people can keep up with you and uh, check out your music, the JC Proof. Cool stuff uh, and uh i thought maybe we'd play it out uh since we were you know talking psychedelics and some some uh some next level shit i thought maybe we could uh play it out with constant state which features david barber because yeah. this has uh yeah some uh some appropriate themes for this for sure. uh, this particular uh particular chat but i'd encourage people to check out uh, the record you just released as well uh colloquy is uh is out there on the, the, the all the streaming services as well as as well as the track that we're going to feature so we out here thanks for hanging dude this was super so fun. fun a true pleasure oh yeah yeah Pre- thank you so much uh, for joining us jeff chilton everybody <laughs> well, hello, great, great chat with jeff great yeah, chat great. with jeff love his energy i love his energy yeah jeff is just fun to talk to yeah yeah that was great that was really great. And uh he's a killer musician. Everything I've seen him play. Dude, I remember I remember so tr- good. Trin saying he was like, Yeah, I got this trombone player. Um, you know. And he I think that Trin was sort of off put by the fact that the dude was like, Yeah, yeah, I got it. Like I don't need to I don't need to show up to all these rehearsals and whatever. Like, I got it. And Trin was sort of like, Come on, like just be and and Jeff was just like, no, I got it. And then I remember seeing him that night and being like, yeah, he had it. Like, he definitely had it. Dude's a super strong musician. Um, yeah, I don't know. I just, it's, we definitely shared the stage that night. Yeah, absolutely. Um, so that's a, that's a funny, uh, I don't know, just synchronicity or whatever. But for sure. Well, uh, we'll put all the links in the episode notes. Somebody send a, an email, please. And uh, we're going to play it out with Constant State from JC Proof, which is Jeff's band. And uh, you uh, you go out there and you smoke, pray, love. And then you bless up. You have to bless up. You have to. You must. All right. I got to pee.
Stimulation, stay seated atop my soul And inspiration, follow me to wherever it is I go Once I get there, I'll probably know But for now, I'm still traveling down this road On the path to find a place Where I'm in a constant state of anything mistakable For euphoria at the very least combined With the thrill of what the moment might build into if stars lined up And stimulations might intertwine with one another for a moment Then maybe we could fly with one another through the current of the current situation That burning for inspiration, non-stop yearning for stimulation A chronic urgency filling me with a drive Locking me in a fight for the feeling of being alive Yo, every morning when I rise, the same time the sun barely touches the skies Got the fire in my eyes, cause all that I need to find is a constant state 